Hello, my friends. How you doing? This is Coffee Chuck Bucks, and welcome to episode. Can you believe it? Episode ninety-three. Holy cow! We are cruising through these podcasts. This episode, I get to speak with Damien Key. This is an honor. Damien is someone who I hold in high regard when it comes to robotics and coding and hands-on learning. What's amazing is I've used his work for many, many years. Like when I first started off in first Lego League, over. 10 years ago now, he has inspired me. He has helped kind of been the backbone to the work that I do, even though we've never really talked in person before. Just his resources, uh, reaching out through social media from time to time and some, some Lego groups that we've been part of. And so to actually have a chance to just to sit and talk with him has been phenomenal. So this episode is really focused on the idea of how we should not get blinded by the shiny objects that permeate our social media and conferences and and really focusing on curriculum and how to do that through the lens of robotics. And he has so many good little insights and things for us to think about. And so make sure you check the show notes. I try to capture as many as I could in some graphics. And so even if you don't teach robotics, um, this episode is really, really good getting you to think about your classroom, your mindset, and how to keep things simple so we can take learning to the next level. Simply phenomenal. As always, guys, I appreciate you if you listen to this podcast, and I appreciate it as well if you share it out. Take some screenshots, share the links out, let people know this stuff is happening, not just for the sake of the podcast, but for the guests who are giving up some time to speak with us. All right, guys, let's get into the episode. Let's enjoy Damien Key. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation, Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker, living on the edge of chaos, born insane, listening to coffee chugs like caffeine for the brain, one of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born, here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos. Hello everyone, how you doing? This is Coffee Chug and we are here with another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast and I have another just spectacular guest for the show, whether you're part of the Purposeful Play with Lego online course or you're just a um, another amazing person listening to the podcast, through the blog. Um, this is actually someone who I have been using his work and, and following his uh, course of action for quite some time. So for me, it truly is an honor to actually be able to uh, speak with someone who has helped kind of build my own confidence in my ability as an educator, especially when we start talking about robotics and coding and things like that. So let's jump into the uh, the episode here. And, and Damien, why don't you go ahead and um, introduce yourself and kind of let everybody know um, who you are and uh, what you do. Yeah, so thanks so much for inviting me on. Um, so my name's Damien Key. Um, a bit of background about myself. So uh, I'm actually an engineer. I've got a degree in electrical engineering. Um, while I was at university, we started up an outreach program, working with kids and getting them on, onto campus and doing some robotics with them. Um, at the time, I really loved working with kids and doing all this outreach stuff. And this was 15, 20 years ago before university outreach was a real big thing. Um, as I finished my degree... They invited me to stay on to do a PhD, and so I did. So I've got a, also got a PhD in humanoid robotics, but my, my main passion has always been these outreach programs. Um, coming to the end of my PhD, 
there was no real opportunity to stay at the university to keep doing the the outreach stuff. So I kind of branched out on my own. And for the last kind of 10 or 15 years, I've been running my own business, just working with students and teachers, getting more, more robotics and more technology into classroom. And my big focus has always been um, curriculum. I, I find there's a lot of uh, toys out there and it's really hard for teachers to um, see the difference between using technology just for fun as opposed to using it and engaging with students and meeting curriculum needs. So, yeah, so that's a little bit about me. Um, I, I love what I do. I get to play with toys constantly, <laughs> but also I love I love empowering teachers. I love especially the real nervous ones. I can't tell you how many teachers have come to my workshops that are just so so freaked out because unfortunately, you know, uh, a lead teacher or principals turned around and said, oh, we have to do programming. We have to do technology. We have to do robots. Uh, you, you're in now in charge. And they freak out because they hear words like robots and programming. They think it's a really complex thing to do. And, and I really love working with them and showing them, you know, look, with the right tools, it's not that scary. Yeah, I love that. And and, and for those that, that recognize your name listening in, I know that they're well aware of your books and your blog and the stuff that you share has been so helpful for so many people who, um, someone like me who lives in Iowa, it's not like we can I can just jump uh, in a boat or a plane and fly over to Australia and, and attend one of your workshops, even though that would be an amazing uh, trip to be able to do. Um, but you hit on a couple key things right away that I really want to hone in on. You talked about curriculum and you talked about so many educators that just are intimidated, you know, because you you are right. The STEM and computer science, even though it's been around, it's still a buzz. And and more often than not, an educator is being positioned to be told you're going to teach this. It's not that as much as um, we'd like to think people aren't just banging down the doors, begging for these jobs in a, in a lot of situations. It's just as you say, like, hey, we need this. Guess what? Damien, you're going to teach it. Good luck. Um, and so when you've done that work, because I think, there's many people that feel that way. Even if they've already been doing it for a couple of years, that confidence is still maybe a little shaky. Um, what is it? What have you found that helps educators kind of get over that hump to start going, oh my gosh, I can do this? Because I think, just like you said, it's not scary. It's not complex. Yes. It, it, it can be if you want to take things to a whole new level. There is plenty of that, but you don't have to start there. So what have you found? Because I think so many educators still kind of have that oh my gosh, I don't quite know if I'm, you know, quote unquote, smart enough. Yeah, so the biggest thing I've found is to keep it simple. Technology nowadays allows us to do some amazing stuff. And a lot of the shiny, glossy sales pictures that go on in terms of these products show the, you know, the far end of what's possible with these products. We can do amazing stuff. And they talk about, you know, 57 different um, features of this particular thing. But what I concentrate on are the basics. And as I tell teachers, your aim is not to teach this product. Your aim is to use this product to teach your curriculum. And so what we're really looking at is finding the basics of your product and applying it to your, your curriculum. I can spend a whole semester. I can spend 20 weeks with a simple robot just driving around, and I have enough educationally valid um, activities to make it worthwhile. I don't need to push on to the really, really complicated stuff and the really, really complex programming. And I think a lot of teachers get scared because we'll show them amazing stuff and they'll jump on YouTube or Facebook and they'll see this school off in, you know, on the other side of the world doing amazing things with their robots and they, they kind of feel that they have to get to that point. And so what I really encourage our teachers is, no, you don't have to get to that point. Feel comfortable with what you've got. Keep it simple. Don't move too quickly because if you move too quickly, not only are you going to um, uh, get yourself confused, you're going to get your students confused. 
I much prefer doing the basic stuff, uh, basic stuff and doing the basic stuff really, really well, getting the students to actually understand it. We don't want to get into this mindset of a, a monkey see, monkey do, where teacher puts up everything on the board, every kid copies it, and then we move on to the next one without the kids actually understanding what they do. So, yeah, that, that's my advice to all teachers. Keep it simple. No matter what you've planned, take your last two or three lessons and strike them off and take your first couple of lessons and spread them out. Yeah, and I like that. And so I know that, that you you have a ton of curriculum resources, um, and we'll put the links in the show notes for those that are interested in checking out. Um, I think I own all of them, and so I know they're, they are amazing. Um, so Thank you. Yes, I mean, I, they, and, and they speak to just what you said. They're simple in concept, but they're really robust in the learning. And so I, I think that that's interesting, and not if you don't want to give away your, your, your secret sauce here, so to speak, but I'm a classroom teacher. I'm hearing you say this, and, you're, and I'm going, yes, absolutely. Um, how do you, in your process, So because I love it because you're, you're one of the very first few people when we talk about robotics or computer science or STEM or whatever buzzword you want to put in there, you've gone right to the curriculum, which is what every educator is facing. Yes, this stuff looks great. It's, it's shiny. It's flashy. It can do whatever. But I'm still being held to these standards, not to the shiny stuff. And so what's your thought process? How do you work through this in terms of taking curriculum and then melting it so it works in a, in a smooth transition, say, like with robotics, say, like with the Mindstorms or the Vex or, you know, whatever the product is. Um, because I think that's where a lot of teachers struggle. I think teachers really know their curriculum, and maybe then their admin has bought them these robot kits, and they don't know how to quite gel them together. So, like, how do you kind of work through that? Because I think that's um, something that, that a lot of people are, are grapple with as well. Yeah, so the first thing whenever you do this is to actually look at the curriculum. Um, I often get teachers and schools come to me and say, which robots do I need to buy? And straight away I say, what are you trying to teach? This is not about what product to buy. You firstly look at your curriculum. Based on your curriculum, you'll know if there are holes in your curriculum which you're not currently um, adjusting for. So when teachers say, oh, I need to do robotics, it's not about the robots, it's about the activity they need to do. And I'll often tell teachers, if you are teaching all your curriculum and your kids are picking it up and they are having fun and they are engaged, there is no reason to go into robotics or there's no reason to change or get another product. It's only if you look at your curriculum and go, oh, hang on, we're doing this section on force and movement really badly. The kids are not having fun. They're not picking up the skills. Then we go, okay, so this is the topic I need to teach. Let's go find a product that's going to suit that topic. Once you find that product, distill it down and keep it simple. A lot of the products, like I said before, advertise the flashiness and don't do the flashiness. Take that product to find out its essential things. So for robotics, the essential thing is that you have a brain, the robot brain, you have motors which can move things and you have, you have sensors which can sense things. Based on those three fundamental things of a robot, you then start looking at how that applies to the, the curriculum gap that you currently have. And again, if you are already teaching something and you know you're teaching it well and the kids are picking it up and the kids are having fun, don't cram robots in there. That's just <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, as much fun as they are, don't break something if you know it's already working. Find the stuff where you're going, oh, we could probably do this better and start applying that. So yeah, distill it down, keep it simple. You see the flashy stuff here and there, but you know, try and put that to one side and um, yeah, go for the simple stuff. Yeah, I like that. I like the way you phrase that. A lot of times I... I... Always, I'll tell educators, look for that, that 
that unit of instruction that's just really passive. The part that you're not you're not excited about where you gotta pour a little bit of extra coffee in your thermos in the morning to get through those lessons because you're not excited and if you're not excited the kids aren't gonna be excited. And that's where maybe we start to infuse some hands-on, you know, whether we're talking robotics or just, or not even robotics, just in a general sense of just hands-on learning to, to increase that engagement, we start there. Like, we don't have to fix something if it's not broken. And so um, it's, it's, I, I love it that, that, that you're sharing that, that same kind of message. Um, and so as, as people are working through this, how do you, I mean, you probably see it in, in your workshops as well. Um, and so probably some of those, those aha moments come about, I'm, I'm thinking about that educator that, you know, it's coming to your workshop, super nervous, probably comes up to you and says, I don't know anything. I've never seen this. You know, um, you kind of get that, that, that spiel from them. Um, do you find that the aha moment comes from like when they actually just get involved with the building? Um, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like as, as opposed to just being that, that kind of passive, just kind of that, that, that sit and get that does happen quite a bit. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about that in terms of your experience when you see that? Because I think that's, a really important element for a lot of us who are nervous that we you have to actually do the work and when you do you find it's not so bad yeah so so my aha moment for all my teachers uh, especially for the novice teachers is that instant when the robot first moves so from the time i give them a box of loose lego they build a robot i'm, I'm a big believer in, in teachers and students building a robot i have an incredibly simple design that takes 15 minutes to put together it's really really flimsy and it falls apart several times during the day but it's a nice quick build and it's that aha moment is when we write our first program that all it does is make the robot drive forward for you know 30 centimeters and when they do that and they've just realized that they did that that's their aha moment it's like actually i can do this this is not too complex i have a, a bit of an unwritten rule for myself in that i will never touch another teacher or another student's keyboard or mouse mm. even if it's Point where I have to point to the screen and say, click on this, now type these exact numbers, I want them to do it all. Because as soon as I take control of that, then I take that, you know, the, that autonomy off them and I really want them to be able to do that. So for teachers, the aha moment when it finally moves and, you know, and that might take us 60 minutes, an hour to get to that point, build a robot and make it move, 60 right. minutes. In that time, they've got it moving. And I say to them, look, you've done that all yourself. You've gone from zero knowledge to building a robot right in a program and making it move. It's not the world's most complex um, program, but it's something that you have done. And once they've got in their head that, you know what, I can do this, that's when they start to really get to it. Uh, like you were saying before, this idea of you know passive engagement versus really getting into things, where the robotics and things like programming are great is that it is so active and that the teachers and kids are doing things. I constantly see kids making mistakes and I am a huge believer in mistakes. And even if I'm walking around and I glance over a student or a teacher's um, computer and I can see there's a mistake in their code, I will not fix it. I will not mention it at all. Not until they've actually run it and they've seen it for themselves. It's a really big difference. I find it not so much nowadays, but certainly 10 years ago when I first started out, a uh, big difference between students and teachers. Students would just throw code on the page and see what happens. And I, and I love that. Teachers, on the other hand, would carefully assemble something, put up their hand and come and ask me, is this right? Before <laughs> they would even run it. And I, I, I get into this, you know, this pattern of just shrugging my shoulders and going, I don't know, go and try it. It's right. okay to make mistakes. 
And so how do you have, what do you, what, what do you suggest? Because I know on the other end, and I think I've asked everybody so far that in this kind of little mini series on, on purposeful play, what's your suggestion then in terms of documenting the learning process? And so um, I know you may not do a whole lot of that within your workshops, or maybe I'm just assuming, you know, I haven't attended one because there's, you're probably more just getting people to understand and build into it. But I know that assessment piece is something that continues to come up time and time again, no matter how many times we, we kind of go around it. And so um, I'm sure people reach out to you. The people reach out to you probably for about everything under the sun. Um, but um, what, what, what are some of your, your ideas for that? Because I think that's always the end result of, okay, great. I have a lesson now. I've got this awesome hands-on engagement piece here with the robotics and coding, but I have to prove they're learning. How do I do that? So um, I, I recommend you document your failures. Uh, many times kids want to see the final product and they think the final product is what you're going to be assessed on. But I love to see failures. I love to see the thinking behind how did you fix your failures? So whenever, whenever I see that in any sort of assessment, that gets bonus marks for me. We're really lucky here in Australia in that we've got a subject called technologies. And the main focus of the technology subject is not so much the finished product, but the process that kids take to get there. Mm-hmm. So we are really, uh, we're, uh, in a sense, uh, retraining a lot of our teachers not to mark, for this particular subject, we're not marking the final product. I don't care how good your robot is. What I care about is what you did to get to that particular point. And even if your robot is absolute rubbish, then if you come to me and I say, and it said, you know, the, I know it's rubbish, and I know it's rubbish because of these three things. And if I had more time, I would fix these three things. Then that's going to get the kids' marks as well. So with assessment, don't get them to focus on the final product. We don't want to know, you know, the everything perfectly working well. We want to see the mistakes. We want to see the process that they've gone through, especially around these ideas of design iteration, of um, assessment rubrics and those sorts of things. I love kids coming up with their own methods of assessment because for a kid to be able to think of how do I make a good robot, that's a skill in itself. So not so much the final product, but coming up with a way of assessing their own robot. So it's those kind of things that I love to see in assessment. I love that. And I know it's one thing when I do my own workshops, I always tell educators, take pictures of every single time you try something new, take a picture. Like that's what you should go back to the classroom and share with the kids, not the end beautiful thing. Hopefully we have something beautiful. And if not, that's not the end of the world either because – I ran into that in my own own classroom, in my own space. When I was working at a middle school, I would spend hours and hours, stay up late and early morning at home trying to build this majestic whatever whatever it might be. And then yes. just because I wanted I wanted the kids to be so excited about it. And then I started to realize that it was actually backfiring. By me bringing it in there, yes, maybe there was a little bit of an excitement. But then every kid, not just every kid, but a majority of the kids would then go, well, I can't build something like that. Therefore, I'm not even going to try. Like it actually backfired as opposed to I wanted to create this exemplar that maybe was a little far-reaching to push them. I think it actually pushed them away. And so then it, I started to get into the process of just going in there and be like, you know what, I'm going to do all this building with you during the during class. I'm, I'm going to be the student, and you're going to watch me do the exact struggles that you're going to do. And I think that was an eye opener for me in my own journey, you know, just embracing the messiness of learning so they could be like, Oh, this this guy does the exact same thing as I'm going to do. He's going to make 422 mistakes in just one class period. (laughs) You know, I just had to make sure that uh, I didn't swear like I did at home. You know, I had to make sure I kept (laughs) the, uh, the filter down a little bit, but, uh, (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I do. Ex I do exactly the same thing, and to the point where I will actually make really rubbish builds in front of the kids, and I will have my stuff fall apart. Now, um, I've been doing this long enough that I'm I'm pretty confident I can make nice, strong structures. But in front of kids, I will purposefully uh, make things that I know will fall apart because if it falls apart in my hands then it just takes the stress away from them. It's like, I'm not perfect, which means that, you know, my teacher who's just put this together, it's falling apart, so it's okay for me to have something that falls apart as well. I'll often tell students that if I'm doing a challenge or something like that, I'll say to them, look, it's got to last 30 seconds for the challenge. That's it. I don't care if it falls apart after that, but as long as it makes it through the 30 seconds of the filming or 30 seconds of the challenge, then that's fine. Mm. Because what that then does, it gives kids the, the license to try stuff a little bit different, not go so safe, and if it's not... Um, you know, if it doesn't work, then that's totally fine. We'll quickly put something together again. Uh, we often talk about celebrating failures. If things go wrong, we make a big point of it. We say, look, this has failed spectacularly, but not the not so much the fact that it did fail, but what we're really looking for is that why did it fail? Mm. And if we can start to um, come down to the essence of why did it fail and not talking about individual people because we don't want to single out kids, but what we do is analyze the idea. And it's like, this thing failed because of this, this, and this. What are three things we could try to make it better? So really looking to to get those kids to um, try different things. And, and like I said, um, I build stuff and it falls apart constantly, but I make sure it falls apart in front of kids so that they can see that it's totally okay to make those kind of things. Yeah, yeah, and I like that. I know I started just bringing in stuff that maybe wasn't very good with the idea that hopefully it would be the prompt that they would want to like one up the teacher like I made something better than you like yeah you absolutely did um and so it's I've I've kind of it's interesting how I've evolved in similar progressions such as yourself you know you start to realize okay when I was young I wanted to be the the top dog right when I, all the kids think I was cool and now I'm realizing sometimes you got to let them take the seat and um it's kind of like a, a statement from Gary Steger. I don't know exactly how he phrased it, but the idea of like a good prompt is worth a thousand words. The idea being we don't have to have these detailed lesson plans, but if we have a really good prompt that kind of speaks what you were saying earlier, then and the kids can pick their pathway to come up with the solutions, it, it's the learning is going to take care of itself. And I think you know that kind of kind of goes full circle with everything we've kind of been talking about here. Here's this prompt. Let's go forth and do it, and you can do it however you want. But let's undergo the process and understand how we're engaging our learning and, and moving through our learning at the same time. It does make it a little bit trickier for teachers because messiness is hard to assess. And I, and I totally get that. And we come up with these lesson plans. We go, all oh, right, we want kids to arrive at this particular point, And when they arrive at this particular point, we can tick off these boxes. But then once we get to our classroom, all sorts of things can derail what we're trying to do. And look, the kids are still getting great learning out of it. It's just unfortunately because of the, the, con, you know, the confines of our education system, we still need to be um, ticking off boxes. So I do understand that it's tricky for teachers. But, you know, in an ideal world, we'd love kids just to kind of roam along their own ideas, whichever which way, you know, it takes them. Yeah. Yeah. And I know like even for me, the more I, I dive into this as well as. It's, you can't put everybody on a linear path in terms of the learning, and so, and I, I don't want to stop. Like I think about when I when I do my work, like on my own time, I don't stop every forty five minutes. You know, thinking of like a class period, a typical class period, and stop and go, hmm, 
let me reflect and write about how my day went in my building. Like I don't do that. I have checkpoints along the way, but it's not this kind of set thing. And so it's also working with educators, which goes against the grain of much of how schools have operated for so long that it, it can't be this rigid process. Like um, I, was, I was just trying to build a, a Lego maze for uh, the, the course. I had a really simple one and I flew through my next goal. And then what I wanted to do for this, this third element um, it took me forever. Like I, I don't even want to admit how long it took me. But like, but had I had to constantly like reflect on it, I probably would have been like, you know what, I'm done with this project because my reflection wasn't moving the way that I wanted. But then once I had that breakthrough, holy cow, then just like five more ideas oozed out of me. And so you know, it's, yeah. it's this very you know unsteady, this ebb and flow. I think we have to allow for some of that within our classroom, which makes it hard when you have twenty to thirty kids all ebbing and flowing <laughs> at uh, different paces and rates. Yeah, it does. That, that, as, a, as a teacher, that is tricky. Yeah. And so I know I was just looking up. I mean, you have some incredible builds, and so maybe maybe it's going against the grain what we've talked about. But I, I, I watched just recently uh, the YouTube video you won an award for most interactive display and um, at one of the, the expos that you were at. And I'll put a link so people can check it out. And you have some really incredible builds. But what I like about them, not only are they incredible, but they're they're simple in premise in terms of like there's a lot of complexity to it, but yet it doesn't, it's not overwhelming to the eye. And so I, I was curious, uh, hopefully people listening need to go check this video out and just see what Damien's created. Um, but what's your, what's your process as a builder when you're not leading a workshop with educators um, and you're just kind of in your, you know, in your own groove, how do you go about doing that? Because I think the the next natural progression as we're thinking about education and teachers start to gain some confidence. The next step is they want to start building some stuff on their own. They want to start to create their own ideas. And I think that becomes its own skill set aside from classroom management, aside from matching up curriculum. Um, so what's your journey or process as you're looking through? I mean, you had a ton of really cool robots on there. I mean, the soccer and the, the memory game. I mean, it's just that the, the gear mechanism was awesome. Um, how does, so, how do those develop? Um, I guess it kind of just comes down to just tinkering and, uh, and having other interests. So um, I'm incredibly musical. I've been playing violin for, for 30 years. Um, and so music is very important to me. And so things like making up uh, musical instruments or things where people can interact with them and get some sort of music out of it. And that's um, my Simon game. My, the memory game has a good uh, musical component to it. I love stuff where you can just do things like the, the soccer soccer robots where, you know, um, I've got people just steering around these robots playing a game of soccer. It's really important to have interactive stuff uh, while it's nice to have things that look beautiful um, that people can go and appreciate. I really enjoy getting my hands on and actually playing with something. It, it's quite amusing that uh, uh, the Lego Expos that I, I often present at, they set up and, and everyone else has these amazing dioramas. Like they, the attention to detail these guys put in is amazing. And they set up all these bollards and chains to make sure kids can't you know, touch them and, and move <laughs> minifigures around and stuff like that. And they set up bollards around mine, and as soon as they go away, I take all the bollards away because <laughs> all the away. Because I want kids to come in, I want adults to come in and play with this stuff and actually get their hands on. And so my thinking is always around: what can I do that's going to be fun and interactive? And while it's fun to look at something, I find it's more fun to actually do something. And so all of the things that I create, I try and make sure there's some sort of hands-on component where a kid or a parent, and it's hard actually getting the parents in. Um, you know, they'll push the kids forward and say, oh, you go, you know, little Johnny, you, you go play with this. Yeah. And I will make a point of saying, no, 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 you're going to come along and you're going to play with little Johnny as well. 
you know, so something like the soccer ones I have, parents versus kids and those sorts of things. <laughs> um, got an art robot, uh, a little spirograph. And, and that one, that's not an original idea. People have done spirograph type robots for, for countless years. But it's, it's always nice to come up with your own interpretation of it. And that one is the, the kids uh, use um, the, the robot and they choose a couple of pens and a couple of different designs and they create their own little artwork. I do it on a little post-it note <clears throat> excuse me, so that they can take it away home they actually have something that they can take back to, you know, back home to as a memento of something that they've done. So it's always looking around and finding cool stuff that you want to do. Uh, a lot of the robots that we see out there are mobile robots, robots that drive around. And, and that's great. A lot of people have a lot of fun with those sorts of things. But I really try and break out of that and just show um, not only the general public, but a lot of teachers and kids that there's so much more to robotics than just a car driving around. Yeah, and I think that's really important. And I know it's something that... I've had a lot of conversation around with people too, especially as we start to think about gender um, and minorities and just maybe population of people who don't see themselves um, being successful in STEM or computer science or robotics or whatever the lens that it might be in. And because I think oftentimes we, that that's exactly what we've, we've done is we've designed these robots on wheels, these humanoid type robots. And they're usually in these rooms that are designed. It look like they're designed for, you know, macho men and, and all these types of things. And so trying to break down those barriers, you know, you know, with different things such as your instrument, the, you know, the, the memory sense thing with allowing with music and showing people there's so much crossover. Um, and there's a ton of correlation between music and robotics and engineering. And I just think that that's so huge for all of us to consider is how do we continue to, create ideas and projects and learning environments that are enticing for all kids, even the ones who look in the mirror and don't see themselves being capable of doing that. That It's really, really important that we're building these learning spaces that make them want to peek their head in um, because otherwise yeah. we're, we're losing so I'm lots of believer, I'm a big believer in not so much STEM, but STEAM, science, yes. technology, engineering, arts, and maths. I think arts, um, you know, neatly dovetails into all of this stuff. Music in particular, music is the study of patterns. It really is. And there's so much maths and patterns that happen within music. Taking um, technology and implementing that in an art scene, so a visual arts um, style projects is also really important. And you talk a lot about getting those um, those uh, groups that may not you know, initially identify as being really into STEM. So minority groups and females and those sorts of things. And those people have amazing ideas. And myself being, you know, white male person, I don't see those ideas. But if I can give them the tools to come up with their own solutions, then I am more than happy to promote that and try and give them the environments in which they can take those ideas and realize, you know what, I don't have to build a robot that drives around. I can build a, you know, an XYZ that does this thing that I'm really passionate about. Yeah, I love that. And so as, as we're going through and so many of these are it's just such a great conversation. And I know as, as we start to think through and, and so many educators are are listening in on this, you know, what are some example ideas or, or lessons, you know, focused on, I mean, I'm just trying to think of like, so where do we take this next? Someone's listening in, conversation ends, they're going to go back to their classroom and, and now what? Um, what are some ideas either focused around just beginner steps or creativity communicate i mean you can pick it doesn't realm that that you have found are, are successful beginner kind of concepts not just for the teacher but also for students because i think people listening 
aren't going to disagree probably with anything we have to say here. Now it becomes down to putting the, you know, um, the tires on the pavement and getting started. So what does that actually look like? So what have you found? I know you mentioned the one building is simple robot. You've got that simple build up. Make sure people have access to it. If they haven't already built it a hundred times in their own life, um, it's a great beginner robot to do those types of things. But more importantly, like what else could they do um, to get started that maybe they're not thinking of? So um, with the robots, I try and get it to keep it simple. So I talk um, a little bit away from robotics and a little bit more into what we call like automation. So we take a robot brain, we take one motor, we take one sensor, and then we have that sensor activate that motor. And then what we can do is we can wrap any sort of context around that at all. So we could take, say, for example, kids are really interested in horses. So we come up with an automated barn where a horse walks up to the front door and the gate opens automatically. So that's just one context. We can take that exact same setup, a sensor triggers a motor, and kids are really passionate about cars. So let's make a boom gate section to control the race cars coming in and out of a pit stop. Again, you have a race car come up to a sensor and that opens a door. Both those projects use exactly the same setup. A object triggers a sensor and that sensor opens a door. But what we do is we take that project, that, the, the skeleton of that, and we wrap it in a context that kids are really interested in. Because as soon as we wrap it in that context, then they are more likely to want to keep pursuing it because it means something to them. Take that idea and apply it anywhere. You could apply it in cooking. Maybe I need something to automatically you know, beat the eggs before I you know, make my, my cake or something like that. Mm. By taking the simple idea, sensor gets triggered and then turns a motor on. You can then wrap it in whatever context you want. Keep it simple. Keep saying it to teachers over and over again. Keep it simple. Yeah, yeah, and as you were, you were talking, and just in my head, I'm going, duh, like that just makes complete sense. And the other thing I wrote down was like picture books. You know, you could, I'm thinking like with kids, you know, you could have people come in with, you know, find a picture book that's related to your content area. And yes, there are picture books you use secondary educators that fit your content needs. Um, you know, and you could use that as a platform, as as a launch into, you know, let's create a solution for the character or something, a favorite part of the scene. I mean, there's just so many, so many ways to take that concept. I mean, yeah, that's just... And at the end of the day, that is, that's, you know, a dozen pieces of Lego. In the programming, it's five or six blocks of programming. If you're using the Lego Mindstorms programming, none of that is complex. But at the end of the day, we're not teaching complex programming. We're teaching um, thinking skills. We're teaching critical thinking. We're teaching design process. It's not about complexity. Yes, absolutely. And and, and it's something that can be done within a lesson or two. So those teachers that have to teach seven, eight periods in a day and lots of kids and lots of turnover, you're not getting to a point where all of a sudden you're three, four weeks into these crazy builds and you're out of parts and it's hard to reshuffle mechanics. I mean, these are the things that goes back to your own sanity um, at the same time, realizing that keeping it simple, you can still achieve what we're after. You know, that idea of, I, I like that you talk about, it's about the thinking systems. It's when I give presentations, I had to speak to a whole entire room of superintendents and in my state that I'm in, we just adapted uh, computer science standards, and it's you need to do this. Like this is these are important standards for you to think about. But the goal here isn't to create a whole bunch of computer scientists. Just like you don't, t we don't teach literacy to have everybody write books. Uh, we don't teach math, so we have a whole world of mathematicians. It's all about understanding the world and having the skill sets and the thinking patterns and the thinking skills to understand the world in the various contexts of, of how things unfold. You know, and it's that's such a, a hard. I feel like computer science or in STEAM 
is has a different disconnect. You say that and people automatically go right to employment and college and career. And it's like, it doesn't have to be that way. Like this, this is we're we're, we're going to kill it for a lot of kids. This is just yep. to get them excited, understand things. You know, if they like it, great. There are pathways, but if not, it's okay too. It's and because STEM is very much a way of thinking. Um, we teach history because history has a way of thinking to solve history-based problems. Geography has a way of thinking that solves geography problems really well. Maths has a way of thinking that solves maths problems. We want to teach kids another way of thinking that solves STEM and technology related problems really well. We don't expect every kid to become a programmer when they grow up, but if they've got the kind of skills that they can do programming, that will help them in no matter what career they go into. Yeah. Damien, this has been phenomenal. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, and it's still, I'm for those that, that maybe I don't know if I mentioned it at the beginning or not, Damien lives in Australia, or maybe you mentioned, I can't remember. So this, I'm still like in this mind warp that it's crazy that it's uh, one day where I'm at and you're actually technically a day ahead. I'm, I'm just, I'm still blown away by this concept. So uh, it's, it's just crazy. I'm getting ready for uh, dinner. You're getting ready. You've probably already had breakfast and ready to start your day. It's just, uh, yep. you know, I need to build a robot around that, that to to understand <laughs> the uh, time zone. Time zone. <laughs> But as we bring this to a close, I do want to be respectful of your time because I know you're a busy man. Um, are there any final thoughts or ideas that you want to share out that we didn't that we didn't cover that you want to make sure um, gets addressed? Um, so my big one is always that uh, my, my catchphrase is don't teach robotics, use robotics to teach. Mm. At the end of the day, the robots are just a platform. Teachers, you have curriculum you need to teach. There are very, very few curriculums in the world which actually explicitly say you need to teach robots. A lot of them say things like you need to teach programming skills, you need to teach critical thinking, you need to teach the design process. And what we do is we use those robots as a tool to teach those things. So don't get yourself you know, in a muddle thinking that, oh, I have to teach this robot. It's not about that. Have a look at your curriculum, figure out what you need to teach, and then use your robots as a tool to teach that thing. Ah, I love that. That's so good. And I think that's such a great reminder for all of us even for people like myself who love robots to uh, infinity and beyond, I have to remember the context too of curriculum because sometimes I like, let's just build. Who doesn't want to build? Uh, you know, there, there, there are other, other things in the world that do go on. Um, so um, I'll put all the links in the show notes. I know I have most of your information, but um, where if people are listening in, they want to know, know more about you or, or seek out all the stuff that you do because you have a huge collection of stuff. You've helped so many people. Um, where can they go to uh, find you? So you can find me on my website, www.damienkee, that's D-A-M-I-E-N-K-E-E.com, or on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Key. If you jump into Google and type in Damien Key robot or something like that, chances are I'll be up there close to the top. I am more than happy to answer emails about absolutely anything. If you are emailing me with questions about robots, that makes me happy because it means that you are using robots in your classroom. Awesome. And and for those that haven't come across his materials, I, I, I can't vouch for it enough. It's, he has phenomenal stuff. He's an amazing person that's helped so many, including myself, um, just the resource that he has and just through general interaction and conversation. So he's another phenomenal person that you would be blessed to have in your, in your network of people to help you on this journey because you have to realize we can't do this alone. It takes a team, and there's lots of people, such as Damien, that are willing to help you out. All it does is take the courage to ask and uh, share, and, and more importantly, get involved, get your hands dirty, and do the work too, because that's what it, what it takes to get to that next step. Damien, thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you.